0: In your Bibles tonight, First Samuel chapter 15, First Samuel 15, and Saul is spiraling out of control, and this is really uh, the last straw before God says you're finished. He'll serve as king of Israel for a few more years, but uh, this is uh, the nail in the coffin, so to say, for Saul, and he is uh, declared unworthy to be the king of Israel. And in this passage of scripture, fascinating stories and things, I think, We can learn from about the fall of Saul tonight. If you'll begin reading with me in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 1. The Bible says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And God gives some pretty plain instructions about how Saul and the nation of Israel are to deal with Amalek. The Bible continues in verse verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. That is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone down and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay. And I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And we conclude our reading there. And the context as passage scripture continues on and this story. The fall of Saul. And there's two things here in this passage of Scripture that God says and some interesting principles, and we can see very clearly that where God puts his finger on Saul's fall and the purpose or cause of Saul's fall, look with me in verse number 17. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, when thou wast little in thine own sight. And the second thing that I see in verse 22. Samuel says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the lord he hath also rejected thee from being king tonight we'll talk about the fall of saul there were two things that brought saul to his knees two things that caused saul to lose his that caused saul to lose his influence the first one is pride and the second is disobedience and may God help us to pay close attention to two very elementary principles and points, but two things that in all of our lives will and can and do produce adverse effects in our Christian life, pride and disobedience. We'll see this in this story. You know the story, I believe, and if you don't, I'll refresh you for just a minute. The Amalekites were wicked people. Back many years before the time of Saul, when the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites had mistreated God's people in a severe way. And for many, many, many years, the Amalekites were notorious for their wickedness and sinfulness. For many years, they had given, been given opportunities to repent and turn to God, but they had not. And God tells Saul and the nation of Israel and his new army, if you remember from our message last Sunday night, God used Jonathan in a special way. The, the army of the nation of Israel had dwindled down to 600. There were defectors everywhere. God gave victory to the nation of Israel through the leadership of Jonathan. And because of that, 220,000 soldiers had regathered the ranks. And now it's time to fight the Amalekites. God gives very specific instruction to King Saul. What's he tells King Saul to do? He says, I want you to smite, verse 3, the smite Amalek. Utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep and camel and ass. Leave nothing behind. And so Saul and the army of Israel advance on the Amalekites. And they have a great victory. But the Bible says in verse number 8, the beginning of the disobedience. That he, Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amal- Amalekites, alive. What had God said for the nation of Israel and Saul to do? Utterly destroy them all. Was he supposed to bring Agag back? I, can, I, I don't th- I know that this is accurate or not, but I've got in my mind's eye, I've got Agag, the king of the Amalekites, being humiliated. I can just see uh, Saul puffing out his chest. Look, we've got Agag, the king of the Amalekites. I see him with a dog collar and a chain around his neck being drugged behind whatever King Saul was riding in. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what it looks like to me. The very first thing that Saul does wrong is he brings Agag alive to make a spectacle out of him and use it to boost his own ego. But his disobedience continues in verse 9. 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. And so, they disobeyed God. Do you think that you can disobey God and get by with it? The answer is no. And God knew what was going on. God knew what Saul had done. As a matter of fact, God knew what Saul had done. and. God speaks to Samuel, the prophet says, Samuel, you're going to have to go down and straighten him out. It's repented me that I've let him be the king. And so Samuel makes his way and finds Saul. The meeting between Saul and Samuel is quite interesting to me. In verse number 12, the Bible says, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel had uh, Saul, Saul had set him up a place. He'd set up a spot where he could really show off and show out the spoils of victory. The Bible says in verse 13 that Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him. What's Saul say? Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What's the first thing out of Saul's mouth? He's, he's a mess. Liar. He looks at the, at the prophet Samuel. He's like, oh, man. I got Agag hanging out in the closet. I know the, uh, my, our soldiers have brought a bunch of sheep and oxen from around. And he looks Samuel right in the eye with a big cheesy smile and says, I have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. Hmm. Guilty. Guilty. I remember as a kid trying to hide stuff from my mom. I just couldn't do it. It was showed up right here. And I'd open my mouth and insert my foot, and that's exactly what Samuel did. Busted. And Samuel says, What meaneth then this bleeding? If you've obeyed God, what means this bleeding of the sheep? I hear the sheep. I hear the oxen lowing in the background. You've not obeyed. You've not obeyed. Saul says, They, in verse 15, brought them. He starts blaming his subordinates. He starts blaming the soldiers. They did it. They did it. Verse 1 The people took them. And Samuel says, Listen, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I like the verse number 16, look at it. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay. I've got that in brackets in my Bible. I can just say Saul's, I mean Samuel's had it up to here. Saul's the knucklehead of the century. And he says, stay. I want him to say, sit, stay, lie, shake, you dog. He says, stay. So you stay right there. Be quiet. I'll tell you what the Lord has said to me. And this is what Samuel says in verse 17. Samuel said to Saul, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. When, what state of mind was Saul in when God blessed him so much that he says, I'm going to put you in charge of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel and I'm going to anoint you to be the king. Saul was small in his own mind. He was humble. You see, pride is a sin that prevents the blessing of God. We're taught to be prideful. We're taught to push ourselves around. We're taught to show out and show up and Make it all about us, but that's not God's way. And that's certainly not how you're going to do God's work. I'll just have you know something. A husband that's full of pride is not a good one. A wife that's full of pride is not a good one. A child that's full of pride is not a good one. I'm thinking about sports and things like that. I'll just tell you something. An athlete that's full of pride is not one that's going to do something that matters Beyond the ball field, they may show up and play real well, but what they do will not matter beyond the ball field. Pride. Saul's fall began with his pride. God said, hey, listen, Saul, I'm going to show you where you messed up. When you were little in your own mind, I blessed you immensely. Pride. Let me show you some evidences of pride from this passage of scripture look at verse number nine the Bible says in verse number nine but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good now who said that it was good I'll tell you something God didn't say it was good God had said whatever you find among the Amalekites utterly destroy it but Saul and his people said you know what I've got a great idea I know God said, let's utterly destroy Agag and the Amalekites. But I've got a good idea. Let's take, this will be good. We can bring Agag back and we'll make a spectacle out of him. And everybody's going to be so proud of King Saul and our armies. And I said, this is good. Do you know what a sign of pride is? A sign of pride and an evidence of pride is when you value your judgment above God's judgment. Let me tell you something, if God says something that's defiled and you call it good, I don't care what you think, you're wrong. And they said, all right. Now, I can understand destroying this sheep that's got sore foot and mange and looks like she's on her last leg, but my lands, look at these new ewe lambs. They're healthy and hardy. Let's bring them with us. They're good. Now, we could go into all those details, but the bottom line is, you want to show and see if you have a heart that's full of pride, and you're on your way to falling from the blessing of God. An evidence of pride is when you value your judgment above God's. Look, if God says what you're doing is wrong, it's wrong. Don't you dare think it's good. Don't say, "I know it's the year 2022." Things are changing. This is a different era, a different age. If it's against God and God's word, it's, a, it's wrong. And if you value your judgment above God's judgment, you're full of pride. Verse 15, look what happens here. The Bible says, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best. What do he say? He said, We've saved we, all we've done. Lord, all we've done is save the best. What did they do? They valued their judgment above God's judgment. That's easy at the place where we do this. May God help us. Pride. The fall of Saul is his pride. The first evidence of pride is when you value your judgment above God's. The second evidence of pride we find in verse 13. The Bible says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this. Saul puts on his cheesiest smile and says, I've fulfilled and performed the commandment of the Lord. The second evidence of pride I see in this passage of Scripture is when we excuse and redefine disobedience. This isn't the only time that Saul says it. You can hear his voice get louder in verse 20. And Saul says to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. You see that? Two times Saul says, I've obeyed God. I've obeyed God. One time he's grinning and trying to prove and just trying to cover up the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the ox. And he says, I've obeyed the commandments. And the second time, he's getting getting a little angry and being stubborn. He says, I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Folks, you can excuse your behavior. But if you excuse your behavior in opposition to God's word, you are full of pride. And you can redefine disobedience. But when you disobey God, it's the byproduct of your pride. Evidence of pride, you value your judgment above God's. You excuse and redefine disobedience. The third thing, evidence of pride, is when you blame others for your sin. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15. Oh, Saul did the noble thing. Samuel cracks down on him. He says, yeah, you say you've obeyed me, but I hear the oxen lowing and the sheep bleating." And Saul, the first thing he says... When he's reprimanded, in verse 15, what's he say? And Saul said, They, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Boy, he's, he sure is courageous, isn't he? What's he do? Saul immediately steps out of the way and throws his armies under the bus. Who's the boss? Saul's the boss. But Saul blames others for his sin. He does this again in verse 21. He says, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. (laughs) What's he do? He blames others. You know, it's easy to get in a habit where we begin to excuse our sin and sinfulness and our pride because we want to blame others. Well, I act this way because of the way my mama treated me when I was a kid. I act this way because of the way my daddy treated me when I was a kid. I act this way because those people I work for. I act this way because this government. I act this way because, and you blame people. You blame institutions. You blame others. And this blame game and, un, and an unwillingness to take Blame for yourself and own your own mistakes and your own sin. It's pride. It's pride. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you? And they apologize, but. And there's always somebody to blame. Or maybe we should say, ladies, have you ever apologized to somebody and knew you needed to? And you apologize, but. Pride. King Saul, he's going to fall. And fail miserably. Why? Because of his pride. And God in his word just says very simply. He says when you were little. In your own eyes. Then. I was able to bless you. Hmm. There's so much to be learned from that little phrase. Little in your own eyes. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is let another man praise thee. Not thine own mouth. Pride comes before fall. God help us. God exalts the humble. God gives grace to the humble. God help us. Pride. The fall of Saul is the product, number one, of his pride. When you were little in your own eyes, I was able to bless you. And the second thing is the fall of Saul is linked directly to his disobedience. There's two very strong things, two verses, and one very strong thing said to Mr. Saul. In verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Now, Saul had made another excuse. He was excusing his sin. And when we excuse our sin, that's our pride, right? So he was excusing his sin. He said, they... He's blaming them. He says they brought them and we were going to offer them to God. We were going to do something godly with them. Don't don't blame Jesus for you being a bum. But that's what he was doing. And so Samuel says, Let me ask you a question, Saul. Does the Lord get us great blessing and delight and burnt offerings from disobedient animals and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. does he get his, is, is the Lord delighted by sacrifice or obedience more? Does the Lord appreciate some type of religious act or sacrifice or obedience more? And he says, let me just tell you. In verse 22 he says, behold, to obey is better than Sacrifice. You know, sometimes it's easier to put a $100 bill in the offering plate than it is to obey the Lord. And if you think somehow you can pay your way into the blessing of God or you can somehow give in order to get excused for your sin, you're wrong. This is the kind of preaching that boosts the offering initially. But it's right. If you think somehow that you can come to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or sing in a choir, work in a ministry and your efforts and your works are something that you can do to pay penance or sacrifice yourself in order that you can just keep doing the thing that you want to do, you're wrong. It doesn't please the Lord. For you to try to cover your sins up with some religious activity. I'll tell you what God wants. God wants you to obey him. Why does he want you to obey him? So he can brag to all the other gods out there that I've got a lot of faithful servants. There are no other gods out there. There's no one for him to be proud with. Why does God want you to obey him? Because he likes to watch you suffer and not have fun. No. God wants you to obey him because he knows if you'll obey him, he can bless you and you will have what he's designed for you as a loving father. And this false notion that gives us this idea that if I can just do religious things and that'll please God and cover up for the fact that I'm living like the devil and you're wrong, it's not true. And Samuel said, "I know I disobeyed God, but we did it so we could make a great sacrifice. We can have a great church service. We can have a real emotional, you know, spiritual experience that. Samuel says, "I want you to know something, Saul. God would much rather." That you just obey Him and to sacrifice to Him. To obey is better than sacrifice. You've disobeyed. You've disobeyed. You've disobeyed. There's a few things I can talk to you about in regards in the matter of this disobedience. Number one, I want you to think about this in light of disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Did you hear that? Partial obedience is complete disobedience. The Bible says in verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed. And he's starting to get a little aggravated. He's around the collar. Who do you think you are, Samuel? He says, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And he did. He went to the Amalekites. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. He did one thing right and one thing wrong. And I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. No, you did not. He didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. He just admitted it. Your people speaking out of both sides of their mouths. A double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. Saul says, I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And I brought Agag home alive. You dummy. You did not utterly destroy the Amalekites. You brought Agag alive. It's amazing you've got to explain that to a king. But we also have to explain it to seasoned Christians. and Sometimes I've got to explain it to myself. That partial obedience is complete disobedience. That shouldn't stop us from being interested in obeying the Lord to the best of our ability. It shouldn't discourage us from giving God our best effort. But I want you to know... You don't pick and choose what you want to obey and what you don't want to obey. Who made you God? Disobedience, partial obedience is complete disobedience. Verse 21, you are responsible for your own obedience. Verse 21, here's what Saul says. The people took of the spoiled sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and Gilgal, God. And did God say, oh, oops, sorry. I thought that was you. Never mind. I had that wrong. No, 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 no. They were guilty too. The people, they were guilty. Saul was guilty also. You are responsible for your own obedience. If you have this idea that (laughs) I'm not doing that because, I mean, nobody else is doing that. You're not responsible for everybody else. You're responsible for yourself. How many of you remember this great old teacher proverb? I mean, every teacher's had to say this at least a hundred times in their career. If everybody jumped off a cliff, would you? We're responsible for ourselves. And you have to obey. And because someone else is disobeying... It does not give you license to disobey because the whole crowd is doing something wrong. It doesn't give you... Because the whole world is doing wrong, it doesn't give you a pass that says, Oh, oh I'm sorry. God says, Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have to obey me now because, I mean, the most of the world's not obeying me now. You don't have to obey me. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No. You are responsible for your own obedience. And if you blame your parents or your grandparents or your teachers... Or your setting, or the circumstances of your life for why you don't obey God, God is not moved with your case. You're guilty. You're responsible for your own obedience. Verse 22 To obey is better than to sacrifice. The Bible says, verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of lambs. That's so simple but so important. What's better, a religious act or obedience? Obedience. What's better, the fat of a ram burning on an altar in honor of God or just to hearken, obey? Obedience is better. Look at verse number 23 to so bring this to a conclusion. Disobedience is rebellion and stubbornness is like the sin of witchcraft. Disobedience and stubborn, I'm sorry, rebellion and stubbornness is as, as the sin of witchcraft, iniquity and weak, and idolatry. Let's just see what the Bible says because I've messed that up. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How many of you are practicing witches? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are wicked? The chances of there being a witch present in this church slam. slim. If you here are here and you're dabbling in the occult and Demonology and demonism uh, run for your life. Because the prince, the power of the heir, Satan, is a foe that none of us have the ability to deal with. The only hope we have is the fact that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Our hope is Jesus. How many of you think that witchcraft is a pretty uh, serious offense for a Christian? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How many of you are disobedient to the Lord? I'm not talking about sleeping around doing crazy stuff. You may be doing that too. It's disobedience. I'm not talking about disobeying to the Lord. Little things that you know you shouldn't do but you do or little things that you know you should do but you don't do God says hey you think witchcraft is bad I think disobedience is that bad that's what God thinks about disobedience he says it's like the sin of witchcraft scripture continues and stubbornness (laughs) we're doing okay until we got to that one stubbornness I like to think about stubbornness. Stubborn as a mule. Stubborn. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are stubborn? You know what? One of the things that causes us to be disobedient is stubbornness. Stubbornness. We know what's right. But we're just not ready to give in to what's right yet. Stubborn. We know we should... Seek forgiveness. We know that we should forgive. We know that we shouldn't act this way. We know we shouldn't have this attitude. We know that we shouldn't have this spirit. We know we shouldn't let this have such a prominent place in our Christian life. But we're just not ready to get it right. And you watch Saul's stubbornness boil up in the story. Samuel's already cracked down on him. He says, Saul, you big liar, I hear the bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen. You're not going to fool me. And Saul doubles down. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Stubbornness. You know what you need to do, but you just won't do it because you're stubborn. And you blame it on the way your mama raised you. You blamed it on your bloodline. One of them stubborn. I have a pastor friend. I hope he listens to this. It'll be great. Gary Darnell. He always talks about them stubborn Darnells. And it's true, they're stubborn. I love them. Stubborn. You say, I'm just one of them stubborn Sturgels. Let me tell you something. You can say that, and we'll understand what you mean. But God will not accept that as an excuse for disobedience. As a matter of fact, God says, if you're just boiled up and determined to buck the system and buck God's will and God's way, he says, your stubbornness, What's he call it? Is as then is as iniquity. Your stubbornness is as iniquity. That word iniquity just literally means wickedness. You know what God says your stubbornness is? Wickedness. What's stubbornness? Stubbornness is not doing nothing. I ain't gonna do it. You know what's right. I'm not gonna do it. God says your stubbornness is wicked. Some people have this notion, if I don't do anything, then I'm not sinning. <laughs> there are sins of omission and sins of commission. And you are not, if you refuse to do what's right, you're being stubborn. And God says, your stubbornness is wicked. He says, not only is it wicked, not only is it iniquity, but it is idolatry. How many idol worshipers do we have? And God says, if you're stubborn... And you say, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to get that right. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to do what I know God's put in my heart. I'm not going to. You're stubborn. God says, you're an idolater. You know who the idol is? You take one fast look in the mirror and there's your idol. Idolatry. And God speaks to Saul. And says, Saul. Because of your pride, and because of your disobedience. The Bible says in verse twenty three, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, He hath also rejected thee from being king. That breaks my heart. Have you ever been fired? You get a great opportunity, but you get fired. That's that's the kind of thing that nightmares are made of. You get a great opportunity, but you get rejected. How many of you love to be rejected? That's wonderful, isn't it? It's one thing to be rejected in life, but it's another thing to be rejected by God. Now, God, he loves you. He knows what's best. He wants what's best. He knows the path to get what's best. He knows the doors of opportunity to open for you. But if you let your pride and your disobedience get between you and God, He has no choice but to reject you. Sad, isn't it? Reject you. Reject. That's what happened to Saul. The fall of Saul, pride and disobedience was the prod. was what produced the fall of Saul. And let me tell you something. Those two things will be the fall of Cody. Those are things that will be the fall of you if we don't keep it in check and give this to part of our lives to the Lord. The fall of Saul. I pray we can just learn from the fall of Saul so there's not the fall of Cody. Pride, disobedience. May the Lord help us to live humbly and obedient Christian lives. We'll find God faithful.